Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> Hello, obsessives. Hello, Heidi. How are you? I'm kind of good. Thank you, Becky. Hello, kind everyone. Good. What lockdown number are you on now? Oh, oh, are we even counting anymore in Victoria? <laughs> Yeah, you have got a lot. I'm so oh, sorry. Yeah, look, my building that I live in right now is a mm. tier two site. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the levels in my building is a tier one. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're completely locked down. I um, was really worried it would travel down to your level. So I'm glad oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So was I. Yeah. And so, I mean, the day that I found, the day you find out, um, you know, you get a text message from the government and you have to go and get tested. And, you know, of course, you have to isolate until the results come back. And I was really lucky that they came back, that the results came back the next day because I had nothing in the house. Yes. And can I just tell you that if your building is ever tier one or tier two, mm -hmm. it will, you'll find out on the day just before you do the groceries. That's, that's <laughs> well, be how it happens. As you know, Heidi, I'll be fine because I'm a little bit of a prepper, always have been a little bit of a prepper. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't like to be hungry. No, I know. One of my I fears know. is to be hungry. Oh, yeah. wow. Mm. That, that is a pretty good segue, actually. Oh, well done. Well done. Very smooth. <laughs> You picked up on that hiding. <laughs> I did. Because you know what? If if I had been, you know, locked up for a week or whatever with no food, it would have been really good research for, been, for today's subject. It would have been and it would have been very timely yes. because it was actually while you were doing the research. Yeah, it was. But I do have to add that the people on that level are not being left to staff. They're actually being um, taken really good care of by a group of support good. staff that are down in the foyer most days. Good. So, good. so I think that's know, one of those really hats off. hats off to those wonderful people who are yeah. doing their groceries and walking think, their dogs. I think the, um, is it the Hindus or the Sheiks are looking after them, making sure they're fed? Uh, well, actually, um, I'm not sure about my building, but I know that uh, Sikhs Australia have been have been feeding a lot of people in Melbourne mm. who are locked down in general. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're doing they're, they're a good religion. Look, I'm going from the segue here. They're oh, yeah, good religion who like to feed people. Oh, we're talking about food and we're talking about religion. Is that oh. correct? Oh, look at us <laughs> just segueing like a dream here. So what is the topic of today's podcast, Heidi? Well, today we are talking about breatharianism. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and just a quick trigger warning, we are going to be touching on the subject of eating disorders and cult behaviour. So if... Um, Either of those things are a bit sensitive to you. Maybe maybe not the best best one for you today. 
Yeah. So I've been obsessed with the subject of breatharianism for quite a while now, yeah. especially because one of the main leaders of this movement is Australian and we have not done an Australian story for a little while now, Heidi. No, we haven't. Mm. And this is a pretty good one. Yes. <laughs> so, so look, um, a lot of people are probably going, breatharianism, what's that? So before we jump in, we'll just give a quick overview of breatharianism. It's basically a new age spiritual movement that claims that its followers are able to live entirely on air and sunlight. So no food, no water, just air and sunlight. So mm-hmm. it's kind of extreme. Oh, it's, basically, <laughs> it's basically starvation for the purpose of spiritual enlightenment. And leaders and devotees claim that it's absolutely possible to live an extremely long and healthy life in this manner. But let's move away from breatharianism for a few minutes and we'll look further back into the past because starving for spiritual purposes has existed long before the term breatharian was even coined. Absolutely. So, Firstly, we have to make clear that there is a huge difference between starvation and fasting. Now, despite my jokes of earlier, I have fasted many times in my life and it's a lovely feeling. I can get where the whole um, spiritual desire to fast comes from. Um, But the ritual of fasting appears in almost every religion, but fasting is for a limited time and has an end point after which the faster will go back to their usual eating habits. What we are talking about today is the complete avoidance of food and sometimes water as a permanent lifestyle choice. Ancient Hindu texts have stories of holy hermits who gain substance from light and air only, and in some cases have lived up to 10,000 years. The Catholic saint Catherine of Sierra who died of starvation in 1380, was revered as a martyr and canonised as a saint. Saint Catherine began fasting in defiance of an arranged marriage. You go, girl. Having escaped matrimony to become a theologian of great renown, Catherine was able to gain respect from powerful men through her feats of physical endurance. Claiming that God was giving her directions to live only on sacramental wafers at Holy Communion, Catherine would become sick at the mere mention of food. Her story had a profound effect on on young women over generations who tried to live as she did. There was a surge in holy fasting girls during the Victorian era and there was money to be made in spiritual starvation. It wasn't uncommon to make religious pilgrimages to celebrity fasting girls or miraculous maids and bring gifts and money to her family. It was around this time that the phrase anorexia mirabilis came into use, which is Latin for miraculously inspired loss of appetite. And I'll just add here that there is a fantastic novel by Emma Donoghue uh, called The Wonder, which is about an Irish um, miraculous maid or Irish fasting girl. It's a really good book. Fiction or historical fiction? Uh, fiction, but kind of loosely based on, on, on yep, what yep. really happened. Yep, yep, yep. that would be interesting. Mm. 
So St. Catherine is just one in a sizable list of historical holy women who chose a life of starvation in the name of God. Something many of these women have in common is the desire to avoid marriage and the need to be what they perceived as being unattractive to men in order to live a life devoted to religious study mm. or a life on their terms, mm. basically. Mm. That the, goes both ways too in history. But in oh, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. The differences and similarities between anorexia mirabilis and anorexia nervosa have been hotly debated over the years and the subject would probably need a whole podcast in itself and we're not really qualified to talk Absolutely about Absolutely not touching to talk that. about anorexia. <laughs> not yep. touching that one. No. So now let's move in to very recent history and look briefly at an Indian monk named Pralajani, who was believed by some to have lived with no food or water from 1940 until his death in 2020. There were two main observational studies on Jani, one in 2003, the other in 2010, both concluding that Jani's claims were legit, though neither have been accepted by scientific bodies. Shani was allowed to move out of the view of the CCTV camera at times, and the legitimacy uh -huh. of his witnesses was questioned. Shani claimed that he was living on prana, which is the Sanskrit word for breath or life force. An American man called Wiley Brooks took the basic idea of living solely on prana and coined the term breatharian. You know, he's got the most perfect name for what he is. Wiley. Oh, Wiley. <laughs> oh, my God. He is Wiley. He, yes. And the way he answers questions in interviews. Oh, yes. Very Wiley. Oh, yes. Very yeah. In the early 80s, he appeared on TV shows like It's Incredible and The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder to spruik his newly founded American Institute of Breatharianism. He confidently claimed that apart from the occasional glass of fruit juice, all the nourishment he had needed for the past 17 years was contained in air and sunlight. And here's some audio from The Tomorrow Show where Brooks explains what it's all about. Wiley by name, Wiley by nature. Nature. <laughs> One of the reasons why I was insistent on finding out how the body worked is because I had always heard that the human body was created by the creator in perfection. And obviously, if something is created perfect, there's nothing you can do to it but make it less perfect. And that's exactly what man has done. The body was created perfect. It needed nothing but the breath of life, which comes from our, the creative source, God or universal intelligence or whatever name you want to put on it. In that state, man was perfect, and all that we have done to it is that we have taken it from that perfect state to a lower point of consciousness. And that is why our environments and everything that is in our lives are where they are because of the quality of our blood. So Brooks claimed that his thinning hair grew back due to his breatharian lifestyle and that his body had stopped all physical effects of ageing. He was moderately successful at being a cult leader. He's reported to have around 400 followers and he held very expensive seminars that centred around the message that all food is poison. 
His burgeoning empire, however, was shaken by a chicken pot pie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there were reports that he ordered chicken pot pie and biscuits while staying at a Vancouver hotel in 1983. And if things couldn't get any worse, he was allegedly caught walking out of a 7-Eleven with a bag full of junk food. The person who truly toppled his authority was his former romantic partner and co-founder of the Institute, Lavelle Leffler, who busted his eating habits and reported that he stuffed himself with junk when he thought she was asleep. We've all been there. (laughs) Yes, we have. But not while, you know, leave it. Brooks dismissed her claims as the anger of a woman scorned. However, he himself has admitted to a love of McDonald's and Diet Coke. In a 2014 interview for Vice, Brooks claimed that it is a double quarter pounder with cheese and a Diet Coke is perfectly okay because it's the only food that's not radioactive. I mean, of all the things to break prana, to, 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 you know, Break a prana only diet. Diet Coke and quarter pound. Well, it's it's just interesting that his favorite foods are conveniently not radioactive. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was also trying to sell ten thousand dollar bottles of water. I I have no idea if anyone bought them, but he was giving it a try. What was supposedly wonderful about the water? Why was it, you know, more sustaining for life force than just... Yeah, yeah, it just because... Because he needed to make money from it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. He now lives as a hermit, and I think it's safe to say he is a failed cult leader. Thank goodness. The person who took on the mantle of breatharian guru with much more success is a woman from our neck of the woods, Heidi. Yeah. You know what? It was so funny. The other day um, I rang my dad on his birthday and um, and, and I mentioned <laughs> oh, and, and I said, oh, I, I've, just, I've just finished up another podcast script. And he said, oh, what's it about? And I said, you know, I, you know I never tell what it's about. And he said, oh, but I already know what it's about. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, I do. It's about some man <laughs> who's giving a woman a hard time. Um. And... <laughs> I'm going to say I'm impressed because the last podcast, we did actually acknowledge that this was the case. Yes. Yeah. Um... But I just thought that was hilarious. And, <laughs> um, and, and you know, Last week I was saying, you know, we're looking for a female villain. Yeah. I think we found one. Oh no, we found one. Yeah, oh, we no. we we found the ultimate female. We villain. have found the yeah. epitome of the female villain, and I and can't... and and we're not going to blame anybody else for her behavior. Behavior. That's right. We're going to blame societal her. reasons. She's got no familial reasons. She's just a nasty piece of work. <laughs> so the person that we would be talking about is Jasmine. Mm. Mm. So, look, before she was Jasmine, she was Ellen Grieve <laughs> of, New, of New South Wales, Australia. Ellen started out as a businesswoman and had a successful career in the finance industry <laughs> because, of course, course she did. She did. <laughs> you know, it's funny how many of these new age leaders started out with these high-flying business I careers. Know. I mean, remarkable. I know. I mean, none of them were, you know, living out in a forest with wolves 
or anything and, and you know they didn't kind of stumble into society and say I have been living this way my whole life no 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 they all come no. from finance and marketing and marketing you know, it's, it's really really interesting okay so around 1992 she discovered an interest in meditation and quickly found ways to capitalize on her newfound obsession she started holding meditation workshops and seminars and she changed her name to Jasmine, because of course she did. How how are you going to have a new age guru called Ellen? <laughs> you know, it's just not going to work, is it? You no, know, she, never she think... recognized she recognized the brand necessities. She did. Know. She did. She branded well. You know, you're not going to have a new age guru called you know Ellen or Jan or Pam. No, you no. have to be Jasmine or Becky or Heidi. Yeah, no, no, no. No, we don't. We we would have to change our names. We do. Yeah. So she brought out her book, Living on Light, The Source of Nourishment for the New Millennium. It details a 21-day process that will help your body to adjust to living off the universal life force. In other words, gradually giving up food and living off the light of God. In interviews, she admitted to having the occasional bite of food just for the experience of the taste, but not for the nourishment. Becky, Mm. I listened to interviews with this woman. I watched her (laughs) YouTube channel. I usually love researching these podcasts, but honestly, I, I really didn't enjoy this. And mainly because, no. mainly because of her voice. And look, I wouldn't normally be nasty about someone's voice because that's usually something a person can't help. But I truly found her so difficult to listen to. There was just something overly sweet and syrupy. And I felt like I'd eaten a whole tube of condensed milk or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's something in her intonation that just makes me feel really off balance. So backstory, um, obsessives, Heidi just about broke during the research for this one. Yeah. This woman's voice. Yeah. I, I, kept sending, <laughs> I kept sending Becky messages saying, I can't, I can't. I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. Can't. Come up with a different topic. I can't do it. Yeah. And and being a good supportive friend, I just basically left you to do on do all the research. But yeah, she it. just laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> so in very early interviews, she has this broad Aussie accent, and you can see over time she develops this lilting, wafty sort of intonation. I mean, it could be that that's the effect of sucking in cosmic dust for breakfast every day. Branding. I wouldn't know. Anyway, in early interviews, she says things like, I've been free of the need to take any nourishment from food now for 11 years. That doesn't mean I've had 11 years of eating nothing. But in that time, yeah, I've had the odd piece of chocolate or cappuccino or completely non-nourishing substance because the path is a path of freedom. God. This woman, anyway. <laughs> so 
So the 90s was the era of the new age prophet, as we know, but Jasmine never made it to mega star status. She did have thousands of followers, though, and she was able to make a good living off her books and workshops and seminars because, of course, there's always books and workshops and seminars that cost great amounts of money. Yeah. I don't know. If ever I find out, you know, the great meaning of life or the, the secret to, you know, existence, I'm not going to make money out of it. Well, I think if if you if you had that level of enlightenment where you, you know not to make money from it, life, you you just wouldn't care about money. You'd money totally exactly exactly. Yeah. It's it's fascinating that she you know could exist entirely on prana, but still need money. But there you go. There we go. What would that... we know? What would we know? What we would we know? <laughs> We're not enlightened. According to Jasmine, the stages of becoming a breatharian are as such. First, become a vegetarian, then become a vegan, then limit yourself to raw foods, and then limit further to just fruit. Then you take away all liquids and you are free to live only on prana. Ah, dear, it seems very logical, doesn't it? Jasmine tends to have a way of blaming her followers if things go wrong for them. In a recent Q&A, she was asked if she felt that the guidelines in the first book were wrong or misleading. And her answer was, not wrong, but I assumed that people would be a little more discerning. And I assumed and trusted that people understood the true message of the book and would be self-responsible and well-prepared. Victim blaming. This, yeah, this very much echoes the attitude she had in 1999 when a woman called Lani Morris died while attempting to follow the 21-day program as outlined in Living on Light. The 53-year-old woman died alone in a caravan after coughing up black liquid. In the days before her death, she'd become paralysed down her right side and began suffering from incontinence. Her causes of death were pneumonia, severe dehydration, kidney failure and a severe stroke. Jasmine's response to this horrific death, that Lani Morris had not been coming from a place of integrity and did not have the right motivation. Not long after, 49-year-old Verity Lynn was found dead in a tent in the Scottish Highlands with a copy of Living on Light and a diary telling of her plans to follow the program. Her causes of death were hypothermia and dehydration. Then, in 1997, a 31-year-old kindergarten teacher called Timo Deegan went into a coma while attempting the diet. He recovered after spending four weeks on intravenous drips, but then fell and died of a head injury. Jasmine has never admitted any feelings of responsibility ever for these deaths. Not only does she not feel responsible she believes that she is actually going to save lives by finding the answer to world hunger. Yes, if the people in developing nations just learn the ways of breatharianism, they would never have to eat food again. And therefore, no one would have to worry about the scarcity of food again. And you know how many developing nations she's toured? Oh, let me guess. None? That's right. Absolutely none. So I came across this very long interview on a channel run by someone called Matej Georgescu, I think a Romanian man. 
And seriously, don't ever tell me I don't love this podcast because I watched it. It was 57 minutes long. Okay. I watched the whole thing. It was excruciating. So anyway, she's talking about how when she was a child, her mother would make her eat meat and would tell her that there were starving children in the world and she should be grateful that she had physical food. And it's weird. The exact words were physical food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So now I transcribed this next bit from the audio. And what shocked me as I was writing it down was how disjointed and nonsensical not just the ideas are but the way the sentences are put together it's almost like she's trying to confuse people by having all of these disjointed disconnected ideas yeah and because of her because of her presentation because she looks so well put together and because she comes across as so educated it kind of tricks you into thinking that she's making sense it's mm. it's absolutely bizarre gaslighting so, or a bit, bit more than that oh, I honestly I have no idea so what she says about this experience of her mother trying to make her eat for the starving children and that began a lifelong quest stimulated by the teaching of Jesus but Is there an energy we can all access that's free, that can eliminate all hunger, not just physical hunger, but why aren't resources distributed around the world where our children are our number one priority? And that's because we have mental hunger and emotional hunger and spiritual hunger. So for me, my journey's always been show me the kingdom of heaven within, which were the teachings of the Christ. I and my father are one. Well, let that be a truth. Show me that. And if you ask, you'll receive. So I began asking at a very young age and particularly for a way for people on the planet to be nourished so we can have different priorities. So to just to grab this point did this shock you this um, interested you because I'm reading this kind of dis- discombobulated confusing nonsensical kind of text everywhere on the internet right as we speak with bizarre as we know um, health conspiracies around vaccines I- I'm reading this all the time it's not even remotely shocking to me and why people read this and get anything from it I don't understand. I, I don't know. And I, as, as I said before, I think there's a lot in the delivery. If the person yes. looks trustworthy, yeah. if the person sounds like they've had an education, yeah. you, you, your brain just kind of glosses over all of these disconnected thoughts and thoughts. sentences. Yeah. It's almost uh, like they get hypnotised or something. I don't understand it. I, I, don't, I don't get it either. Yeah. So still hasn't been to any poor countries to give free classes on uh, prana? No, she hasn't. You know, she fits the stereotype of the white saviour spiritual guru woman so perfectly. It's almost like she's not real. It's like she's been sent by a casting director. 
you know, she's thin and blonde and wears these ethnic-looking clothes and she says really cringy stuff like learning from our Indigenous elders, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I look like a vampire. And look, you don't get much whiter than me, but she is the whitest white woman that yeah. ever existed. Yeah, there's a certain aura to being a whitest white woman too. Yes, yes. I like to think anyway. Yeah. So along comes the Australian Current Affairs Program, 60 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> In 2011, Jasmine was a guest on 60 Minutes and she was given a line of questioning by Richard Carlton about the deaths of Verity Lynn, Lani Morris and Timo Deegan. Jasmine talks about divine frequencies and spiritual initiations while an increasingly irate Carlton tries to bring her back to the subject of starvation. Jasmine was then offered a challenge. The show would keep her under constant surveillance for seven days in locked accommodation. Jasmine happily accepted the test, describing it as a holiday. The producers put Jasmine in a Brisbane hotel room where she would be monitored by CCTV cameras and female security guards 24 hours a day to ensure that she consumed no drink or food. A doctor would give her a checkup each day and watch for signs of deterioration. And look, as much as I dislike Jasmine, I think 60 Minutes did the wrong thing. Well, I think they did anyway because, they can, I mean, three people had died at this point. It's nothing you play around with anymore. You don't no. give a voice at all to these people, Yeah, even to trip them up. it's You're exploiting just as much as they are. But anyway. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. is typical of that kind of journalism anyway. So by day two, the doctor was concerned that she was showing signs of dehydration. Jasmine was very quick to say that she'd done four wheeze that day. <laughs> she was very proud of that, and she says it over and over. I've done four wheeze. That's I've because she wheeze. <laughs> she was high on prana at that point. What's the longest you fasted for, Heidi? Five seconds. I don't oh, come know. On. No, you. Well, you've done juice fasts. Yeah, I have. I have. You know, maybe for a couple of days. Yeah, same with me. Top yeah. two days. Yeah. Top two days. And I, I know other people who do fasting frequently. You reach to a point where you start to go a little bit dreamy yeah. and euphoric. Yeah. And that's the point where you actually, I think, need to eat again. Yeah. And um, whenever you talk about the four Wii's, I'm thinking, yeah, I think she was at that point there. <laughs> anyway. On day three, Jasmine claimed that the city pollution was getting in the way of her air nourishment. She insisted that she needed fresh air and accused the show's producers of stacking the odds against her. She was moved to Clear Mountain where she seemed much happier with the air quality. However, by day four, her pulse rate was up, her blood pressure had fallen and she'd lost six kilos. At this stage, you can really see a change in her. Her face is gaunt, short, and you can see that her brain is really fuzzy. It's a big difference. Her strength is just totally depleted. The doctor was very concerned by her deterioration, stating that Jasmine's pulse was double that of when she started and that her dehydration levels were 11%. The doctor then came to the conclusion that the risk of continuing was too great and that 60 minutes would be culpable if they kept the test going any longer. 
it was really disturbing at that point. She was hunched over the table. You could see her eyes weren't focusing on anything. And she just kept talking about doing four wheeze in a really high-pitched whine. She would not let the four wheeze go. She was just obsessed with these four wheeze. It's, it's incredible. And, and this, is, this is when you realise just how irresponsible 60 minutes were being. Yes. She puts her weakened state down to spending two days fighting carbon poisoning from the previous location. Even while she's slurring her words, she just will not admit that she needs food and hydration. Her devotees saw the discontinuation of the test as proof that 60 minutes had set her up to fail. How could anyone say she wasn't successful as she'd been prevented from completing the seven days? Jasmine herself has come to see her 60 minutes infamy as positive. Of course she has. The YouTube channel lightdocumentary.com has a video where Jasmine waxes lyrical about her fall from grace, saying that it was a gift. Look, let's just listen to her speak for herself because I had to hear her voice for a whole week. Now, <laughs> the rest of you can. Enjoy. At the most, they gave me the gift of having, ex so that was great freedom. They gave me the gift of having experienced all of that, and I don't need to go into details. They know what transpired, you know. And um, the gift it gave me was humility. And from that, from being made humble to having my reputation destroyed, all of this, what was out in the field from this, later, a few months later, I had the most amazing experience in meditation that I couldn't even begin to describe that filled my being with so much love and so much joy and so many gifts. And I know that if I hadn't have had that humility, I would not have had that experience. So what is Jasmine up to now? Well, plenty. According to her website, she is an ambassador of peace for the Embassy of Peace. Oh, dear God. Now, I, I have no idea what that is because I'd suffered enough at that point and I didn't click the link, but I believe she founded it herself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's such a great way of giving yourself a title, isn't it? You've, you've found an embassy mm -hmm. and give yourself the ambassador title. It's, it's foolproof. Well, I would like to state that I am the goddess of podcasting for the Association of Podcasting. For the Association of Goddesses in Podcasting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Well, I am the CEO of that particular organisation. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So, you know, she refers to herself in the royal we throughout this website. So she says things like, through this time, we have been instrumental in helping to educate millions. We have travelled since 1994. It's just so weird. Is she, is she sort of trying to make it sound like the organisation is more than just her? Well, I don't know. I don't know because then she'll suddenly switch to singular. Oh, you know, she'll use the royal we for a few sentences and then suddenly singular. It's really strange. You know, at first I was thinking, you know, is she talking about her her and her 
husband, but her husband is not breatharian. And we know this because she keeps a full fridge for him. Oh, does she, she now? She does. Oh, does she, she now? Does because oh, isn't that just so interesting, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and and you know what? I noticed in the sixty minutes interview, she would would sometimes refer to herself as we, like okay. like Richard Carlton said something like. We you did know, four you've, weeks. You've been very, <laughs> you've been very successful, haven't? Or you know, you've been very successful. And she said, "Yes, we have." Right. Okay. Yeah. See, she's talking we. about we's. She likes the, the word we. Visit. She likes the word we. we. She just likes we. We. That's all she likes. Yeah. So yeah. when she goes to the toilet, she goes, "We we's." Yeah, she does. <laughs> she's also the well, life- this podcast. This topic has destroyed pretty much both of us at this point. <laughs> Can you not see this, Heidi? Yes, I can see it. And um, she's also the lifetime president of the Global Congress of Spiritual Scientists in Bangalore, India. Global Congress of Spiritual Scientists. Yes, I get it. (laughs) You don't have... So Heidi has got many qualifications in English, this one doesn't even require that. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. <laughs> and I believe she's also continuing with her grift. I mean, her business. Uh, now, how of... come you made me edit something out then? <laughs> I said her business. I. That's what I said. Okay. Yeah. Her business <laughs> of educating people for a very high price. Uh-huh. Oh, and there's her YouTube channel, which has messed up my recommended videos algorithm. You know it's going to keep throwing it back up at you in like a year's time. I know. I'm constantly getting these these videos about spiritual healing and stuff that I just don't want. No. And I'm I'm getting these videos from – this couple and and she's um Jasmine's actually been back um in the news because uh this couple who are Instagram influencers you know god oh god they they oh, um I don't want to hear this <laughs> they claim that they have been breatharian and uh, the woman oh. in the couple claims that she has had a couple of healthy pregnancies while being a breatharian. Yes, I remember this story. And she yes. admitted that she, well, she meant it as like a concept. She had like yes. spells of breatharianism. I have been practicing breatharian ways for at least an hour now. Oh, my God. Yeah, Jasmine would be so proud. Yeah, yeah. But- I'm living on prana. But, like, with this particular couple who Jasmine have come, she's come out, uh, of course she has because, you know, she needs attention, obviously. And so she's like, me, me, look at me, I'm still here. And, you know, she's speaking very approvingly of this couple and saying, yeah, you know, this is, this is great, good on them. But um, this couple, you know, they say, oh, we don't need, you know, we don't need food and water to survive. And then they say, oh, but we do occasionally have soup. And we do occasionally have fruit smoothies. That's like, yeah, okay, you're not eating solids. How occasionally? Like three times a day. Have you ever seen many fruitarians? Do you know what? I used to work with a woman who was a former fruitarian. Yeah, they're pretty 
they're pretty full on. They are very full on. And they also are a bit giddy and, you know, <laughs> I'm living just on fruit. <laughs> I'm so happy. I, I mean, just the sugar high alone. I know. I'm just living on fruit. I know. I've thought of that. Of all the things, like just live on vegetables if you're going to do that. Don't do it. On... Anyway, anyway, what would I know? Uh, but, you but... know, this this whole connection between food and spiritual self-righteousness that has been going on for <laughs> so long you know from those earlier historical um you know saints and and fasting women and it's just amazing isn't it how we we latch on to this thing that we need so much for survival and we say well i don't need this because i'm too good to need this i often wonder how people are so attracted oh Yes, that is exactly, exactly what I wanted to ask because as I, as you know, I was going insane watching these videos and I was thinking, how does anybody fall under her spell? And I watch a lot of cult documentaries. I'm really interested in cults and never once have I seen footage of a charismatic cult leader and thought, wow, I can totally see what they saw in that person. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I'm just going to state here that in my own cult <laughs> yeah. of Christianity, I don't believe 99% of it is just nonsense. Do you know what I mean? I've got a yeah. very pragmatic way of, of viewing it. I can't yeah. understand even in my own cult, why are people taking it like that? Why are people imagining this is so? But uh... So what would it take to make you join a cult? Oh, I've told you all along I'm I'm right for the picking for a cult. <laughs> well, you are a prepper. <laughs> I, I'm a prepper. Right. No, I'm just I'm, I feel like I need to address this now that I've said it because people are going to imagine me sitting there with my weapons in a, in a bunker. Oh. I just really truly believe in personal responsibility and that you should always keep three months' worth of supplies on hand. So I always keep three months' supply in hand not for the zombie apocalypse because if there's a zombie apocalypse i'm done for not for any major thing but just for small things like a sudden pandemic interrupting the food supply chain and stuff like that well and and that's proven to be quite sensible so well yeah well i have to be honest with you i was feeling a little bit smug in january last year when i were home you were very smug yeah and i was nagging everybody anyway but it look it's, it's not a um conspiracy a conspiracy thing for me it is just a I don't know. I I feel very vulnerable in the world sometimes and Mm. it just makes me feel a bit more confident to know that I've got three months of food and medication. But that's something that you do independently. It's not something that you do. It's not something that you do as a group led by somebody else. And it's not associated with any kind of big picture concept or idea attached yeah. to it. just common sense of I like a full cupboard I like to make sure that my credit card isn't run up too high in case I need it for emergencies I like to make sure that my birth certificate's kept in a metal tin it's just that it's just yeah. that yeah right? but I so it's not the prepper kind of attitude that would make me suspect susceptible to cults what makes me um <laughs> possibly a potential cult devotee is that I like people, I like community, and I can really see how I would enjoy that common goal of anything. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And it's why I couldn't join a call. 
because I am so into my own space. And do you know what? Yes. Do you know another reason why I could never join a cult? It's not because I'm too intelligent. It's got nothing to do with that. See, I don't think it's got anything to it's do with that. It's got nothing to do with yeah. intelligence, no, I don't think. agree. The reason why I could never join a cult is because I would be listening to this cult leader and I would be a little bit put out that I wasn't in their place. Okay, I'd so like, I'd be like, do you know what? I think I could do a better job. Well, here's the, well, here's the other question then. Now that you've raised it, you've asked, you know, yeah. you've asked the question: How do people become involved in the follower of a cult leader? Yeah. How do people become the cult leader? What what attracts them to it? Why why Look, you you would have to have a lot of narcissistic tendencies, I imagine. You would have to have a lot of sociopathic tendencies because you would have to be able to take people's money without any, any yeah. conscience. Um, I think you would have to have an immense amount of self-esteem. And I oh, think self-esteem or self-lack of awareness more like. Yes. And I think you would, to a certain extent, have to believe what you were saying. Okay, but even if I was the most evil person in the world, the thought of a whole lot of people wandering around after me going, oh, Lita, tell me what to do here. Oh, Lita, tell me what to do here would drive me absolutely bat insane. I don't know. I, I, I think that um, that would be a really, really interesting field of study, wouldn't it? You know, the oh, yeah. psychology of a cult leader. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, and and you, the charisma that you have to have. I mean, and, and the infallibility yes. you have to present. Yes. You have to know exactly how, how to spot vulnerable people, how to, how to locate their weak spots. Psychopaths. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you have to be very clever, I think. And rather horrible, but there you go. And rather horrible, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you start a cult, Heidi, let me know. I'll check it out. Yeah. If it involves, you know, groups raising chickens and planting gardens together and all that, I might be in. Great. Great. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the poultry, the poultry cult. The poultry cult. <laughs> or maybe just a farm. Yeah. But a com- the chase, just, just but like a, a poultry com- farm. Com- stop. I have to tell you, every time I watch any kind of cult doc- documentary, I'm there going, oh, that sounds so nice. They're all sharing resources and they're doing good in the world and they're loving each other. And then it's like. <laughs> then they Can you guys do order. that without the cult leader? Oh, I know. I know. Well. We're both so, hungry by the sounds of things. I'm actually really hungry. Yeah. I, I My prana has run out and I'm looking for like, I don't know, chicken schnitzel or something for dinner. I think this topic has been rather disturbing for both of us, but especially you, Heidi. Well done on getting through it. We shall find Thank a nice you. creepy one for you next time. Excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. And good luck with your algorithms. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, obsessives, for joining us for that little head spin. And um, 
stay safe wherever you are and you know mask up do all the right things and hopefully we'll see you sometime soon bye everyone bye